Rupture Podcast surveys the creative, socio-cultural and political concerns of local and international artists and designers. The podcast series is a collaboration between RMIT and the National Gallery of Victoria. go out in the field for me was to have a helicopter crew and that helicopter crew would ferry me out for an hour onto a glacier and I would have a field training officer who would go out before me to test the ice and to check the conditions and he would be on a radio to station to get an update on a weather report. A lot of it is is very instinctual. It's, as I said, it's very body-based, it's very movement-based as well. And out of that, I noticed things and captured them to an extent, knowing full well that things will shift and change. Hi, I'm Elaine of Capture Podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking to artists Philip Zamatsis and Polly Stanton about the challenges, rewards and opportunities of making art in the field. One of the things I didn't want to do in the first trip was record wind because wind was a very convenient signifier of the extremities of Antarctica. Often it's fabricated noise of wind that people use in documentaries and and so forth to kind of convey how cold or how extreme or how difficult things are. I'm Philip Samatsis. I'm an associate professor in the School of Art within the Fine Art Program. I'm also the Artistic Director of the Bogong Centre for Sound Culture. And I'm a sound artist with a very specific um, interest in deep field work and revealing uh, the ecology of wilderness areas undergoing some form of stress due to climate change. So I wanted, when I went down there, to convey a completely different impression of Antarctica, so I didn't record wind whatsoever. So interestingly, after spending three months in Antarctic, sub-Antarctic and on the icebreaker, I came back with hundreds of hours of recordings of Antarctica without any real wind present. And I presented these recordings in different configurations to different audiences, and everyone who had been to Antarctica were completely unnerved by the fact that my recordings were windless and I was presenting a completely different experience of Antarctica. And in some ways it was an inauthentic experience for them because it's the windiest place on earth. So how did I end up with all these recordings without wind? And I've got special techniques to do that, of course. I'm a sound artist, so I don't need... I can, I can represent an environment without wind very easily, in fact. Um, so the focus was on other elements of Antarctic life that, that I was interested in. But having receive that feedback the second proposition was only to record wind and i wanted to record the sound of extreme velocity wind so that's the catabatic wind in in antarctica i was inspired by the the photography of frank hurley predominantly and not only his attempt to depict um, the extremities of antarctic life 100 years ago but the fact that he was using composite printing and photographic techniques to construct kind of narratives that some way exemplify these conditions but essentially were impossible to document faithfully through the photographic process. It's a composite in terms of um, manipulating the image to kind of create a hyper-real experience of these locations. So I really love that idea that in some way it's fabricated 
in order to create a, something that's beyond documentation or documentary photography. Uh, I really love it. So I thought, hey, I've got um, access to the latest um, range of field recorders and microphones and, and all the things necessary to, to record wind in the field. And wind is the most dangerous, the most volatile, the most difficult element of the Antarctic experience to, to capture, to record. So the, the second project was essentially just focused on that. I wasn't interested in anything but recording wind. Whilst there, we experienced two blizzards. The, the second blizzard was um, the strongest um, blizzard ever recorded at Casey Station in summer. So it reached um, wind speeds of around 100 knots or so. So it's very close to um, Cyclone Tracy here in Australia that devastated Darwin. It was those types of wind, although... Um, Cyclone Tracy was a bit stronger. So it lasted 36 hours and I had multiple microphones um, located throughout the station and I was able to record the effects of extreme wind on, um, on the research station and it's very, very dramatic um, but very beautiful at the same time. I didn't know what a blizzard was until I got there and I think we all kind of have an idea what a blizzard is but a blizzard in Antarctica is like it takes four to six hours for the wind to gain momentum. So it's a very gradual process and it reaches its highest velocity about 20 hours or so into the blizzard. So you're kind of standing there recording this weather event and it's slowly but surely gaining intensity, but it's also imperceptible at the same time. And just when you think it can't get any louder, it just keeps getting more intense and more intense and louder and louder and louder and louder. And louder hour after hour after hour until it reaches a point where the whole place is just shrieking and screaming and piercing and, you know, everything is shuddering and shaking. You think you just cannot get any more intense than this. But that's a 20-hour process, and then it stays like that for about 8 to 10 hours, and then it de-accelerates just the same way as it, it appeared. So it's a beautiful bell shape of intensity and um, it's something that I never really expected but it's a beautiful compositional device to kind of um, to, to establish for a listener who thinks that you've reached the crescendo of work yet you only just partially reach the loudest and most intense moment and you just don't know because there's no yardstick you know to, to measure it against I've not no experience of these things and you think where is the peak of this natural phenomenon interesting thing for me upon reflection is that my whole experience of Antarctica has been mediated through technology and it's been mediated through highly specialised clothing, uh, through a highly specialised um, uh, remote um, scientific station that I've only really experienced it through through the portal of these technologies. I've never really stepped into it. I've been covered and smothered in clothes and and hats and socks and boots and gloves. And, you know, I've looked at it from an Antarctic research station. I've looked at it from a helicopter or a Hagland. I'm always looking at it and listening to it from something, but I'm never really in it in, in, in a true sense of the word. And that, to me, is very interesting because you feel that you're immersed in this wilderness environment, but you feel completely separated and alien from it as well. You're completely uh, in your own ecosphere, if you will. And, and that kind of tension is really interesting for me. As we heard from Philip, extreme conditions can shape or even alter an artist's entire approach to field. We'll now hear from Polly Stanton as she considers her own initial approach to the field. Spaces that are left are, are really fascinating to me. They're sort of like um, 
I've always sort of thought of them like charnel grounds in a way and, you know, that sort of sense of, you know, sort of meditating on things changing or just change and knowing that that's, that's part course for you as well. And so I think um, there's a lot that gets reflected in any sort of space that's being left. My name is Polly Stanton and I'm a sound and moving image artist and my work focuses on remote environments and field research. I think one of the big things about field work that I've had to learn is to be really adaptable, you know, to to the changes in weather and to environment, knowing that the work is as formed by what you can't capture or what you miss as it is by the things you're able to sort of grab, um, but also this reciprocal kind of relationship that goes on between you and a certain space. You know, you're just one body in a, a landscape of, you know, multiple bodies really um, and so you affect it as much as it affects you and and so that's something that I've really learnt in that there's a relationship that has to be created in that sort of field and that very sort of beginning of field work that's sort of my big focus. So there's a lot of um, just technical sort of pragmatic thinking that has to go on when you're filming and recording so I think Trying to lessen that has been uh, a really important thing for me and one of the ways of doing that is by leaving the equipment home initially and I find that when I walk around with it, I'm really just thinking through it and listening and looking through it um, and it filters things for me somewhat. And that that's part of the process too and I, I love that part of the process. I love that sort of feeling of being really creatively connected to the camera and the microphone and it's an extension of me and it's, it's an extension of how I'm responding and what I'm seeing and listening to. But initially I've found it really, really helpful to just leave all that sort of complication in some way at home and be a lot more sort of vulnerable and sort of more vital in, in environments as well. Um, it allows me to see and think and listen in a particular way that I find is really integral. And then coming back with the equipment then becomes um, another step of the work where my thinking is a little bit more torn, a little bit more taken up with, with you know, the sort of paraphernalia of what I'm doing, um, as I say, which is fine as well, but it's just really nice to have that initial contact. Just listening to environments through headphones, just, I mean, it's, it's amplifying everything in a way, you know, when you take headphones off, even when you're, you'll be listening to this really loud and vibrant um, soundscape and you take your headphones off and it's like, where, where did that go? And you forget, you know, that you're listening to this really amplified sort of experience of sound. And so it does really draw things out in that way. But then, of course, different sort of recording techniques and microphones, you know, whether you're listening to vibrational frequencies, it opens up a whole sort of plethora of ways of thinking through different sort of sites and then how to visually respond to that. So I think sound has been absolutely a huge focus for me, sound and listening as well, of just um, how to capture an environment and, and what the environment is for me. Um, sound is, is, is really predominant in that way. My last work, The Spectral Field, where, which was focused on uh, some uh, major sort of salt lakes in the Mali region, we did a lot of drone shooting for half a day and there was actually not much of that footage that I used in the finished piece. And so there's a lot more to use and to sort of think through that footage and I'm not sure if I'll use it, but 
it was just so fascinating how that sort of aerial viewpoint on these, you know, very sort of dense environments, very flat, very sort of almost non-human in how, um, you know, intensely arid that they are. Um, suddenly from above, they're just like skin, you know. They just have these incredible shapes and folds and this sort of beautiful material movement that's sort of frozen in the, the lake bed, which obviously fluctuates with, you know, moisture that's in the environment and rain. And so I thought that was, you know, that could be just another really interesting work um, in and of itself. It's quite a visceral experience sort of being out there. A lot of the time you're falling over. You know, walking is this sort of entangled process where you're sliding and tripping and going too far and getting a bit freaked out and um you know getting hit by weather and there's so many kind of experiences of of that and then you know there's also a really agendered kind of situation with that too of being out in environments and feeling fearful and thinking about those sort of situations but then also working in um, locations that don't have, um, you know, that are either protected and what you bring to that. I mean, a classic situation that I found myself in um, in 2016 in Iceland was working on a, um, an island that had been protected for about 50 years. So it hadn't really had really much human sort of interaction for that long. And I was one of the first people to get onto the island when it was reopened to the public. Um, the Finnish government had sort of bought it from, I think, the Finnish military. It had been sort of a military base and they were opening it up as a as a public space in the summer months. And there's this incredible um, moss called reindeer moss and it's just these huge fluffy white cushions which it's just gorgeous it's actually really crunchy and breaks super easily it sounds like glass when you're stepping on it and um so I'm sort of walking through in my sort of way of careering through and trying to you know pushing through bushes and just trying to get a sense of this island and what's out there and what the sounds and the smells are and sort of sitting out there for a while and listening and crunching on this moss going oh that's a really that's a crazy sound and sort of thinking that sounds really brutal what is that stuff and then finding out um you know a couple of days later when I sort of researched it it, you know it grows you know a millimeter every you know two years so the stuff that I was stepping on was like hundreds of years old and because Valisari the island wasn't you know there was no signs and you know they just kind of opened it up and I, I find the fins are very like easygoing <laughs> about these kind of things where in Australia we'd be like fencing things off you know right or wrongly um so in that way you know I really have an effect on the landscape you know and that experience which was like on my first day really coloured my movement in the landscape too you know it was like I felt horrendous about it for a long time and and just realised just what an incredible you know sometimes you can go out and you think you just you know you're some sort of sensitive being out there and just realise you're like this brutal person just smashing through you know the environment and I think you know situations like that are always kind of being reflected back to me. Capture Podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The team would like to thank all our contributors and you for listening. Be with you next week.